yeah. episode two, but the first episode of actually having a guest to interview on here. So that's awesome. Taking care of the S and the T with you, right? Science and tech. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, when this comes around, this is Alex, is it Palermo? Yes. Palermo. Sweet. Alex Palermo. So I know you from Facebook and as a fellow, well, I would say I'm previously fellow physics person. I think we were we were going about it at the, around the same time, weren't we? Yeah. When did you graduate? Yep. Uh, so my undergrad was from 2015 to 2019 and then master's until 21. Okay, yeah. So it was about mm. the same time because yeah. well, I went from physics from tail end of 2013 through like 2016 and then bailed and then 2016, 2019 was math. Nice. With some hopping around in there. There's a gap time and then a geology time, then back to physics time, then back to math time. There was times, but it was about the same time, I remember. Um, did you finish the master's? Yep. Or you did? Oh. Yep. Yep. Master's, master's is done. Physics. As well, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, Because master's... master's would be like, you're starting to get a little specialty with it, right? So, or was it just yeah. straight physics? Um, so the master's was in applied physics. Um, I was doing some research around the time, which was actually in nanoscience. So, okay. yeah, so mostly just basic. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, do, I've done a bit of almost everything except for, except for bio. I have, I have not touched bio. Yeah, me either. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So I was doing research from... And I was in that lab for about two years, uh, started in 2018, left in, yeah, left in 2020, um, mostly doing some nanomaterial synthesis, even though, yeah, it was, so I was working in a, a wet chemistry lab at the time, despite not having taken a chemistry class since high school. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a big learning curve. Yeah. I'm there, which is. Uh, I guess I'm I guess I'm kind of developing a track record for just diving straight into fields that I I'm kind of familiar with. Okay, sure. Because that's the because um, that's kind of my story with uh, with AI as well. Um, yeah, that's left field a little <laughs> bit from uh, physics and then chemistry and nano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little bit holy crap holy. okay so first wait before i jump into that i want to ask yeah. where did you go to the same university for your bachelor's and the yes master's? yes university of north carolina extract okay fantastic did you like it enjoy yeah. it yeah yeah it's pretty good pretty good um yeah i uh, i did try to go uh, i did actually try to go somewhere else uh for a phd um but yeah, no one, honestly, no one really took me when I was finishing my undergrad. Um, yeah, part of it may have just been a time constraint because I was so laser focused on classes and research and other various part-time jobs and stuff that my, uh, yeah, I think my GRE left something to be desired because I, uh, I left a few of the core courses that they covered until the very end. Um, yeah, yeah. I never same even thing. took the GRE, so. Huh? <laughs> huh. Yeah, it it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I've heard 
fabulous things. Remember, all my cohorts are just like these thick GRE book study books. And I'm yeah, like, how about I yeah. don't do that? <laughs> mm. Although I don't yeah. have any aspirations to go to grad school for mathematics either. So <laughs> theory is not my forte ah. of things. And math degree, at least at my school, was like half theory. Mm-hmm. And I was just like smacking my head against the wall a lot. It's like, I miss physics mm-hmm. so much. I want to go back. Just let me play with equations and stuff. I don't care about that theorem. It's like, I'd go to my physics classes and my professors would be like, so if you were in math, they'd show you the whole proof for this, but uh, we're in physics, so we don't care. It's like, oh, I like your lazy approach to things. <laughs> professors yeah. always like, we're lazy. That's why we name things stupidly, too. I was like, oh, yeah. I I dis I distinctly remember at this one recitation session that I was running. I was helping a bunch of physics one students prep for their finals. Um, I think I was doing a momentum and impulse problem, and I multiplied both sides by the I multiplied both sides of an equation by dt, and I was like, okay don't tell the math people that we're doing this because technically we're not supposed to, but yeah. it just works. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out one of the students in there was a math major. Oh, no. And he was like, uh, yeah, I don't really think you're supposed to do that. That's funny. <laughs> that's fantastic. I That's definitely happened in my physics classes yeah. before too. Mm, yeah, it's, it's really funny. It's really funny. This whole rivalry between the physics and engineering and physics and math people. Oh my God. So my school was, uh, math had its own building on the opposite side mm-hmm. of campus. And then there was the science building, which had, there was a physics wing, a geology wing, and then upstairs had the biology wing and a chemistry wing. Mm-hmm. And then the building behind there was all the engineering students. So the engineers would all come over to the science building. And then there was a feud between the engineers and all the sciences. But then somehow we would get trickles, like we had a physics lounge. Mm-hmm. And we'd get trickles of like other science majors that would come in and out, and then it was a constant feud of, oh, here comes the fake sciences. And <laughs> like, it's just there's like a whole ego as soon as you step into the <laughs> physics wing. There, it oh yeah, just cracks me up to the max. Yeah. Like my one of my parents' really good friends, she's a biochemist, and I had switched to geology for a. For a quarter. My school is on a quarter system. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to her about it. And she goes, that's not a real science. You know that, right? I was like, oh, but it's fun. <laughs> and we can lick rocks. It's fantastic. But, which was actually really cool. But I was the only... Because um, I had left my physics degree and went to geology to test it out. Mm-hmm. And it was in a geological hazards class. And my professor was having us do... like. Um, a landslide and of a boulder going down in a landslide and doing like the force of it coming down. And he had just this basic force equation. And I like just barely started, like there wasn't friction or anything. And I just barely mm-hmm. started to raise my hand. He looks at me and goes, physics? No, I know it's wrong, but no, we're going to just deal with this right now. Like, okay. Hand back down. I will not say that is wrong. <laughs> no. Just let it go. <laughs> It was great. And then I was like, oh, there's not enough math and went back to physics. And I was like, mm, nope. <laughs> and then to math. And then it was worse. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Derail yeah. on that. Um, so a little bit of background. Did you always want to go into the sciences? Like what your aspirations growing up were? 
I'm going to do physics or something. Yeah, I've known that I wanted to do physics since I was about eight. Damn. Okay. And I am pretty much one of the only people I know that has never changed their major. And wow. never even really thought about it. Until I burnt out. But I mean, that, that's a thing, different you know? story. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even know what physics was at eight. <laughs> I knew astronomy. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to be an astronomer. But I didn't know, you know, physics was astronomy. In the nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. My dad, yeah, my dad was majoring in physics as well when I was really young. So he would show me a bunch of really cool stuff that, you know, they were talking about in class. Mm -hmm. And I was also homeschooled up until the fifth grade. And during that time, I absolutely just fell in love with math or specifically learning math because I'm not really sure what it is about everything else, but it's at least compared to everything else, but it's more like uh, I enjoyed learning processes more than actual things. Okay. And the way I saw it, that's all that math was, was just a bunch of sets of rules that you get to play with. Yeah. 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 I'd agree with that. It's foundations for everything. Yep. Which is why I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, math was my thing pretty much through most of school and, you know, all the, all the way to college. And mm-hmm. when I went in, I, uh, I really wanted to be a theorist, you know, maybe not necessarily like the whole really popular string theory thing that people were getting into at the time, um, but something. I didn't really know what it was at the time. And I, I don't know. For some reason, I never could really pick one specific uh, subfield that I really, really wanted to dive into. Um, yeah, I know for a while, for a while, I really, for a while, I intentionally took a few extra courses in solid state physics because it never it always had like issues clicking with me. Okay. So like after the end of one course, you'd be like, I like, I passed it. I did really well, but I still don't understand it that well. Mm-hmm. Like, I still don't really know what's going on. So I'm just going to take another class and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a reoccurring theme, like in physics though. Like I yeah. swear that was a lot of my cohorts too. Mm-hmm. were just like, we passed and we're like, Okay, so what did we learn? <laughs> and on to the next one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, just muddle your way through. Yeah, yeah. Like even for like for E&M and stuff, mm-hmm. and e- even quantum, I was like mostly fine with that because I knew, okay, if you do all of these derivations from these sets of principles, you get these results, and then we just plug and chug with those on the tests. But for a solid state, it's like, why is why is there a Fermi everything again? <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. That's completely fair. Yeah. The great yeah. 
and crazy world that is physics. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's fun, but it's definitely, uh, and it's a whole different playing field. Yeah. I mean, I think I've taken about every science besides, well, besides biology, it was one thing mm-hmm. I just wasn't going to touch. But physics was its own ballgame. Yeah, yeah. It, it attracts a special kind of weird. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a fun weird, though. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with all my mm-hmm. physics people. My math people wasn't fun. But the physics people are just a different, I don't know. They're just different, and they're entertaining, and everybody mm-hmm. just wants to talk about the things, like, <laughs> and try to, you know, make our way through understanding it all. Mm-hmm. And just there's so many different ways, that, uh, directions that physics can go, mm-hmm. and then like, yeah, and it's a lot. It's a lot more interesting than like me trying to talk to my math people. They were just not fun. Yeah. yeah. Given the choice of sitting in a math lounge and hanging out, is like nah. I'll sit outside by myself. I hung out even in math. I still hung out in the physics lounge most of the time. Anyway, mm-hmm. eh, whatever. I was honorary. Yep. I got to hang out there if I wanted to. I spent enough mm-hmm. time there. Yep. I distinctly remember there was this one time, my senior year, I think, we got a take-home exam for E and M two. Our professor was just like, "Just get this back in my mailbox by like tomorrow morning," I think. So every right after class, that was at like, I think it ended at like 3 p.m. Everyone in the class just went up to, to basically what was our physics lounge, just a, uh, yeah, just an unused conference room that had a basically mini library in it. And then we just hung in there and worked on it until like 10 p.m. that night. We like everyone was finished. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was great. A professor like that, but yeah. his tests were like you would do that with everybody, but mm-hmm. it was days on end to mm. work on a test. It was, I mean, it would take you an entire day just to do one problem mm-hmm. if you got it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole yeah. thing in and of itself with him, but <laughs> another interesting dude. <laughs> He was one that, in our advanced physics lab, we were, what were we doing with, it was inert uranium, but we were measuring, like, the beta and gamma particles coming off it or something like that. And he brings it in, and he's like, okay, you're safe, but please don't lick it. I was like, (laughs) I want superpowers. Can I be Mm Spider-Man? And he just, like, gave me the death glare and just walked away. (laughs) Bye. Don't answer. It's just asking, but apparently somebody has licked it. So there's a reason for that disclaimer. Probably a geology student. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Although when I was in geology, like they said, please don't lick these because they've mm-hmm. touched lots of hands. They said if you mm. pulled it out of, like, if it was freshly unearthed, sure, mm-hmm. go ahead and lick it. But for how many people have touched it, don't lick it. Yeah. So there's rules for even geology. <laughs> Just a really fun class. Like, I mean, the classes I had were incredibly fun, except for I had major issues, and I'm probably going to misremember this completely, in mineralogy classes with their prefixes for, like, 
3D objects, like the crystalline mm-hmm. structure, and their prefixes were not the same type of prefixes in, like, math and physics. Like, six did not mean six. It was, like, a different number, so I was, like, getting messed up all the oh. time. It's like, I can't. They're not the same thing. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Memorize yeah. all these things when they don't mean <laughs> what I think they mean. <laughs> There's, yeah. Disconnect there. Really cool, but, yeah. Yeah. Definitely something different. So tell me how you got from physics to this, a little bit about the startup. So I was reading this Techstars, which is, is Techstars funding your startup? Is that how that works? So Techstars is, is an accelerator. So what that means is that they give you a small uh, pre-seed investment, and then... Okay. You will go in with a bunch of other startups as a cohort for about three months. And they give you this like really intense set of programming where you meet with a whole bunch of mentors, work really closely with the, uh, with the managing director, which is usually a serial entrepreneur that has, you know, built at least one other company before. And they basically just rip your company apart and put it back together again. Into something that can, yeah, yeah. Into something that has a much, much better chance at, um, at being successful. Okay. So being one of the, is it 10 for the year or is it 10 for like a quarter? How do they, cause I saw there's 10 that they've picked. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's 10 for this, for this particular cohort. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're going to be in Knoxville, Tennessee for three months all working together with uh, three big partner institutions, uh, Oak Ridge National Lab, uh, Tennessee Valley Authority, which is a uh, power company that uh, provides power to like six different states oh. in the Southeast, and the University of Tennessee system. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so how did you go, what, like, Armada... IQ, Armada IQ mm-hmm. is your yep. thing. So how did you go from, I went from mm. physics to I'm doing mm. this, is it like an AI type fleet thing? Mm-hmm. How'd you go to a tech startup? Like I wouldn't have so, jumped from physics yeah. to a tech startup. Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. A year and a half ago, this would be the absolutely, the absolute last thing I thought I would be doing. All right. So yeah, around when I was finishing up my master's degree, I was, yeah, I was pretty burnt out at the time, just mostly just because I chronically overworked myself. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, just get me out of here and I'm just going to get a job probably as a data analyst or a data scientist and just figure out what to do from there. Mm-hmm. All right. So I started, um, so yeah, I started teaching myself Python, um, started playing with Excel, Tableau, you know, all the, all, all the usual items in a data scientist job description and started teaching myself those, uh, working on a few projects, um, spring 2021 started the job search. It's going, eh, not that great. Um, COVID. I was, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hard for jobs there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to, uh, to like systematically reach out to people on, uh, on LinkedIn just to build out the network and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I went to this, uh, this like alumni panel for, for data science and decided to reach out to one of the guys on that panel. Um, seeing if, you know, he might become a, might be able to be a good connection to, you know, get my foot in the door at a job or something. So I reached out to him and he was like, um, yeah, so I'm actually getting ready to quit my job so I can go and commercialize the research that I've been doing for my part-time PhD. And then we had a, yeah, and then we had a Zoom call after that, just so I can kind of get an idea of what he was doing. And his uh, PhD uh, qualification exam was, the way he described it at the time was an IQ test for self-driving cars. Okay. Because the thing is, when a so when self-driving cars are in development they're obviously going through a whole lot of testing but after they're actually deployed what kind of monitoring are they going to have you know like uh like obviously the the company that developed the vehicle is going to have a lot of inside knowledge right on the uh into how the internals of the car is working and where it's messing up but what is the fleet going to know Right. And maybe even this fleet has several different, um, it, maybe it even runs uh, autonomous vehicles built by a few different manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's even integrated with, uh, with a human fleet. Right. It's so like a partial transition to fully autonomous. Uh -huh. So how do you, like, how do you track how safe those, those autonomous vehicles are being when all you have are the tools that you normally have for human driven vehicles. Fair. So okay. like, so like super high level telematics data, um, maybe a smart dash cam giving you some high level triggers and another internal dash cam that's checking if the driver is distracted. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, and that's really where this, um, where the idea for Armaga IQ came around was to basically, basically we're trying to measure how safe a driver is being, whether this driver is a human or a robot. We're trying to determine how safe this driver is being just by watching them drive for a really long time. Okay. So yeah. this be something that would be implemented for like trucking or would it be mm -hmm. even breaking like broken down even further to I don't know like taxi services even yeah so like yes yeah, so like trucking um delivery utility fleets it's a big one uh right now um we're trying to right now we're looking for for pilot opportunities with human driven fleets Obviously, because not a lot of fleets are integrating autonomous vehicles right now. Um, yeah. But we're trying to, yeah, but right now in the immediate future, we're trying to help um, uh, commercial fleets just get better safety data and get better safety insights that they don't have right now. I imagine it'd be super useful for um, 
like in the winter in weather conditions, mm-hmm. you always see there's like a 18 wheeler on its side or jackknifed because there's yeah. snow or ice or something. And what it would be what they could have done. Like, how did they end up jackknifing or flipping? Versus, mm-hmm. like, it's not just, I mean, it's not just ice. Obviously, there could, it could be, but there could have been something preventative to stop something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this thing is built to answer questions like how much is your behavior changing given different weather conditions, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, like, are you driving, are you changing your behavior enough in icing conditions to ensure that you don't crash like that? Right. You know, um, so stuff like speeds, uh, follow distance, maybe like how aggressively you're taking turns. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Proper turn yep. taking is definitely a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. Uh, a decrease in what accelerate halfway through and then you may mm-hmm. carry yeah. on your way. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I know. My car has a nice little safety warning on taking turns mm-hmm. at the top that it's nice. a tippable car, which I didn't know until recently. And I've mm-hmm. driven it for 16 years. <laughs> that, so I'll. To do that, would you be contacting like certain um, companies, and do you have to put like sensors on the vehicles to measure all those things, or is it something internally? Because I know vehicles now and everything have so much computerization to them, but yeah. I don't know because my car is a 1999 car. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we are working. So we are trying to work with the dash cam figures that they already have. So we are trying to do software only, no other plastic boxes on the vehicle. Um, eventually, we're expecting that all commercial vehicles are going to have some kind of integrated camera system because that's what all the new vehicles are coming up with now. And, and we expect that most of these manufacturers should start coming up with some kind of API access. You know, maybe like some kind of, yeah, I know. Some maybe like some kind of marketplace for your driving data, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so, what would be the difference of? I mean, would you implement it with? What would be different for like an? So I'm thinking like all I can think of right now is a Tesla out there being mm-hmm. like, we have self-driving mm-hmm. cars. Like, so how would you be able to? If a self-driving car messed up like you'd be able to look at the logs and figure out why it messed up if there's something in there because wasn't there a tesla that was like supposed to their autopilot and it straight up smashed another car like head-on it was like a year or two ago when it was first rolling out I I... people were in a hissy in like california or something about it yeah yeah i've heard that there have been some um some like pretty major slip-ups with the autopilot when people aren't paying attention. So would that be its own category separate from like an autonomous car and then a people driving car. And then you have the integrated part where there's someone in there that's supposed to kind of be paying attention, but (laughs) isn't paying attention. They get two variables there. Yeah. 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 Like, um, like technically Tesla's aren't fully self-driving. 
Right. So one of the, yeah. So yeah, one of the conditions to use full self-driving, at least in their, in their terms is that you have to be ready to take the wheel at any time. Cause really, because really, legally speaking, it's more like a uh, it, it's more like a really souped up adaptive cruise control. Um, but yeah, back back to what you were saying about uh, about the behaviors of the autopilot. Um, I've heard that in a few recent releases of autopilot, there have been more and more instances of phantom braking on the highway, where the car will start braking for no apparent reason. That's horrifying. Yeah, yeah. And the, so the kinds of things, so where we would come in is that we would look at a whole lot of footage from these two different versions of Vagapilot and see if there are any common conditions around which there are phantom braking. Right? Okay. Um, a few years ago, b- before Tesla switched to to fully to yeah to fully vision only, when they were using a uh, sonar and and radar, I think there are some issues where they would encounter phantom braking when the vehicle goes under a bridge. Weird. They realized that is because the ultrasonic sensor. I think which does close range distance doesn't have any vertical resolution. So if the ultrasonic sensor sees a bridge ahead of you, it can't tell that it's above the road or on the road. So it's going to think, so the ultrasonic sensor is going to be telling the car that there's an object on the road in front of it. So it's going to start breaking until the until the vision system sees that the road is actually clear and they can keep going. And apparently that was why in one version that was phantom breaking. Yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But um yeah, even even beyond that. The main hindrance for self-driving cars right now, the reason that they're not in mass deployment is because there's this long tail of driving scenarios that no one can really predict and that are super, super hard to test. Because it's like, it, it's almost an unbounded number of possible scenarios yeah. that, you, that you would need to test for. Right. You know, and yeah, no one has really any good. I don't think anyone really has any reliable ideas yet on how to get a robot to learn all of those and to even navigate any of those scenarios safely when it does encounter those. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if it's infinite, you can't. So at what point do you just say we've covered the most likely scenarios and then all the wild cards will just it's a wild card don't just figure it out when it happens i mean yeah like an animal running what happens when a deer runs in front of the road i imagine that would be a common one mm-hmm. or a car ahead of you suddenly breaking or weather mm-hmm. but what oh what would a wild one be just like 
you're cruising along and this car just comes like a bat out of hell screeching from a side street. Like, that's not entirely there, predictable. I don't... <laughs> I think there was... Someone throwing a rock from an overpass and it... You know, <laughs> that's... I mean, that's something that happened here a few times, yeah. unfortunately. Like, yeah. I heard of this issue that Uber had with their self-driving cars where whenever it would go down this certain uh this certain part of the city the internals would just freeze they would just get completely overloaded and the reason why was because they were passing a bike rack so there were a bunch of empty bicycles on there it thought that they were a bunch of actual bicyclists so they were trying to run the uh, trajectory planning algorithm on all of those bikes. Oh, no. And it was overloading the system. Oh. So even though the bikes are just sitting there, they're not yes. even moving. Like, it doesn't... Yes. So do the programs yeah. not register? Like, like, why would it not pick up... If it notices a car parked on the side of the road is just a car parked on the side of the road, why did it not pick up a bicycle? It's just a bicycle on the side of the road. I don't Apparently, it hasn't seen enough of those cases. Oh my god! And and another thing is that, like, if if we just see a bike rack full of empty bikes, we're not going to be thinking about how those bikes are going to move. No, right? Because we know there aren't people on there, yeah. so they're not going to move. Um. So okay. So question: Does it not mm -hmm. the programs running that? Like, I, I will say I don't know jack about cars mm -hmm. or about the ai programs in cars i don't know anything about anything what do the programs not like the so the car is moving it knows that the car is moving but do they not notice that the other things around them are moving or they just notice there's an object like do they not have that frame of reference that this is also moving in a certain direction towards the car or um anywhere it just says object, object, danger. Will Robinson like cruising down street? So, so the way those, so the way these kinds of systems work is that there are usually several different kinds of models running at one time, right? Okay. So you would have a model doing lane finding, right? Lane finding and boundary detection, figuring out where the car is allowed to go, right? Or figuring out where all the lane markings are, and then using those to figure out where the car can go. Uh, there is object detection. So at this spot of the image, there's a person. At this spot, there's a car. At this part, there's a bike. Mm -hmm. And then there could be, and then there might be a separate model for object for, sorry, no, for for uh, for like trajectory planning. I think it's called. I, I don't think that's the word for it, but I'm blanking on the actual term for it. But basically, given that I see this object in this context, where do I think it's going to go, right? Like if, if I see an intersection, if the lane finding says that we're in an intersection right now, um, lane finding also says that there's a crosswalk ahead and my object detector says there's a person right here, what is the probability that they're going to try to go and cross the street? And if that probability is super high, then I'll tell the car to start slowing down. Right. And that's the kind of thing that I was checking for those bikes. for those bikes, because it saw a bunch of bikes on the side of the road. It thought that those bikes 
would have a chance of moving in front of the vehicle. So it was trying to predict where those bikes were going to go. Okay. But it didn't have that. It, it didn't have that contextual information that these are bikes locked up on Iraq without any people on them. So right. they're not a factor. Right. Yeah. And I think the fix for that was literally just in, if I see a whole bunch of collect, if I see a big collection of bikes that aren't moving, just ignore that. Okay. Fair. I mean, yeah. what if, so it would have to notice if it was moving. Cause otherwise, well, if you have a pack of bicyclists cruising down the street, yeah <laughs> yeah that would be like um that'd be like bike plus person oh okay yeah there's a or, or maybe or or maybe they're just saying bike and then assuming there's a person on there yeah i didn't think about that okay yeah that would make yeah, sense it really it, it really depends it really depends on what your model is trained on you know and what you and what you want to teach it to recognize so are all like you have all these different different companies that are trying to come up with this AI, and then your company is having to monitor how good mm -hmm. the AI is working. Mm -hmm. Like, but do all these companies have their own type of AI? So then yours has to be modified. What they're looking at, like one might think of more scenarios, and another might not consider them at all. Or I guess. At some point, they all have to think of the same thing, right? Like, what if an AI fleet comes out and they notice the bicyclist, but another AI fleet comes out and they don't know what a bike is? See, that's exactly the kind <laughs> of thing that we're trying to measure from the vehicle's behavior. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, because these self-driving car companies aren't going to, you know, show the world exactly how all their algorithms working, how they're they not going to be friends with each other and share. No, exactly. Not. Exactly. I mean, they have their own internal monitoring system that tells you how well they're doing, but there's no, there's no like real system agnostic way to compare, say a Tesla and a Waymo. What's a Waymo? So Waymo was spun off of Google's self-driving car program. Oh, and okay. they are actually doing fully autonomous robo taxis in a suburb of Phoenix. Wild. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, like in so yeah, in the certain part of Phoenix, you can actually go go on the Waymo app, summon a taxi, and take a ride in a car that has nobody in the front seat. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it seems cool, and then at the same time, very worrisome. Um, I would like the cool factor to amp up, so <laughs> less worried about that. I mean, that'd be super cool. Like, I would love, I would love mm. to have an autonomous car so I could just sleep mm -hmm. on the car ride. Like, mm -hmm. if I have to drive across the state, I would love to just sleep because I get super motion sick, and if I sleep, I don't get motion sick. Boom. Car drives itself. I sleep. Yep. That'd be amazing. Uh, so at some point, because I know, I don't know if it's actually implemented already. Like, I don't follow these things. But mm -hmm. uh, what about shipping? Would that be something that would have to cross over into shipping as well? Because I, I swear I read something about them and auto 
pilot shipping like huge freights across the ocean and not having to have like a full crew manning it. Oh, like shit. Like actual ships. Cargo ships, yeah. Okay. Yeah, cargo ships. Okay, that I haven't looked into. Yeah. But this could be um, something that could, it would have to be totally rebuilt. Of course, there's no bicycles out in the ocean, I would hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never know, but. Yeah. It would be, but what I can say is that it would be much easier to build an autonomous boat as yeah. opposed to an, auto an autonomous vehicle. So we so we we probably could see autonomous ships before before we see AVs fully deployed. Um, yeah, I've also heard that there is a um, that there are some companies developing autonomous trains. Oh, as well. I mean, I feel like that would be super easy because it's just on a track. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have as many hazards as a car does. I mean, I know there's derailment issues or mm -hmm. like ice over the rails causes issues too, but I, I wouldn't feel worried about hopping on an autonomous train at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to hit something, you don't have the time to react in the first place. Yeah, yeah, right? no. There's, if a train's going at 50 and a car pulls up, it's not going yeah, to there's, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Mm. I'm okay with that. I'm not in control of the train anyway when I ride it, so <laughs> whatever. It's fantastic. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes complete sense to me, though. So I heard it's actually, I was reading some article about um, like people working on the trains having to be conductors mm -hmm. and stuff, that it's mm -hmm. like a massive pain in the ass type of thing like just you can't just call out or anything and you're just traveling anywhere and there's a shortage of people doing it anyway so why not automate it although i know people mm -hmm. hate automated things because it takes the jobs and whatever but yeah that's a yeah that that's a whole nother discussion yeah that is that is not my domain no but you will be furthering the automation. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're kind of well. You're not really to blame, but you're helping the blame. I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah. there or something. Yeah. No, I I'm totally for it. I mean, yeah, why gosh. the hell not? Mm -hmm. From what I hear, even with like trucking fleets and everything, it's. I mean, who wants to drive for 18 hours a day? And you don't get paid very well either for having to do yeah. that and that i would consider that fairly hazardous having to drive across the country yeah yeah it's driving uh, across I the city and i'm like oh my god why can't you drive right like trying to drive across the country non-stop like that awful yeah yeah i would want help <laughs> a little bit yeah actually back to back to that trucking point there are actually some companies out there that are looking into building autonomous convoys so what you would do is park a bunch of, so get humans to drive trucks onto the shoulder of the highway, line them all up, put a person in the front, in the, in the front truck, mm -hmm. all the trucks behind them will be autonomous, and those, and those trucks following, their only job would be to follow the one ahead of them. So there would just be Wild. one person 
in the truck leading everyone, and then a bunch of autonomous trucks following you. Huh. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And that would and that would be like a highway only domain, which is much, much easier for, for AVs to handle. Because mm-hmm. you know, there's none of this, you know, craziness with the city. Yeah. And it's only one person that's controlling this fleet of maybe a dozen or more trucks following them. Hmm. That would be really cool. I mean, they would they wouldn't be able to put a ton of trucks there though, right? Like I mean, you're not going to be driving down the highway and have like 10 of them in line, right? That could create a bottleneck of some sort. I mean, trucks go slower than, you know, a little car zooming past. Just thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be yeah, I'm not really sure how well a super long convoy mm-hmm. would would interact with traffic like that because you know if it gets too long, then you would probably have cars forcing themselves in between them. Yeah. And so, how far yeah, would the distance be where they would disconnect or something like not noticing? Mm. I don't know yeah. how far their system goes to visually see like, oh no, the truck ahead of me is too far. I will stop now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Help, I'm a truck. I lost. Mind <laughs> <laughs> your little truck on the side of the road. Yeah. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's really, really cool, though. Like. Trying. Yeah. I, I don't know why. It makes me think of Asimov, and like, you have to keep these programs in check mm-hmm. of themselves. What happens. You might not have the answer for this, but what happens if, like, this autonomous, I'll just say vehicle, I don't know if it's a car, truck, or whatever, but is going down and it just, can they just short circuit and just not work all of a sudden? Do these things have fail safes in them? I mean, I guess that's um, kind of like them stopping themselves because of a bridge. Ah, bridge, help. Yeah, I. I don't know. I imagine they would have to, right? If they see a situation, because right, right now, if a Tesla gets confused, it just beeps and has the driver take over. Right. Um, Not fully autonomous. There's nothing out there that's fully autonomous yet. Oh, except for those taxis, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And even then, depending on who you talk to, not everyone would call that full autonomy. Oh. And we, we can get to, that, get to that in a minute. But, but yeah, I, I, I imagine if, a, uh, if an autonomous vehicle sees a situation that it can't handle, there's going to be some kind of you know, fallback that will just like a pull over into a safe spot. But the problem is, if it's confused about the environment, it may not know where a safe spot is. Yeah. It might not just want to pull over on the side of the road and wait for the issue to dissolve itself. Yeah. That would be one of those wild card scenarios. uh, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like, how would you... How would you have the vehicle pull into a safe space 
away from, you know, any traffic that might hit it if it has no idea what to do. Yeah. When it has no idea what to do. It's yeah. completely yeah, it's in a shot. Oh. Yeah. That's poor AI. I'm so confused. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be scary. How far away do you think that sort of thing would be? Like so like your type of programming or the the IQ thing, testing it, I imagine they'll have like tester cars come out and then your company does that sort of testing to make sure the programs are running right. And then if everything does seem to go right, then they would actually start to implement them on a regular basis out in the real world or they would start implementing them concurrently while testing them. So right now, right now our strategy is to focus on working with human driven fleets and really understanding what those safety managers look for and then building our reporting to answer those kinds of questions. As we work with more and more fleets, we're going to know more and more about exactly what they look for. And, and yeah, really the whole, really the biggest challenge that we're going to face is really digging into understanding what everyone needs to know and figuring out exactly how to combine the signals that we're getting in a way that can give us a safety indicator. Um, and really the only way to do that is to just start working with fleets and start getting feedback. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, how far ahead is this gonna, will you be implementing? Like, do you have a projection of how far it'll be until you start implementing what you're working on? Um, I mean, we're already um, messing with dash cam footage for, for our personal vehicles for, yeah. for testing purposes. Like, um, uh, yeah, we think we might have some good opportunities for pilot programs while we're in Techstars. And then that can give us some good initial feedback that we'll use to keep iterating on. And, and yeah, hopefully we can actually be deployed in the fleets in the next few months, mm -hmm. definitely this year, absolutely. Right. But yeah, yeah, because like it doesn't. The thing with the thing with startups is that you have to start getting customers when you're still. You, you have to start working with customers when you're still kind of embarrassed. <laughs> Yeah, about the uh, about the quality. Yeah. The yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's like I did my time with the tech startup yeah. this last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah. It's it is wild. A whole realm that I don't think a lot of people um, realize. It's not like you have this full fleshed out thing right from the get go. It's trial and error, building it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you know anyone that remembers when Uber first launched? No. Like, first, first launched? 
No. I can think of Uber as far back as like 2014, 2015, only because Mm -hmm. that was the first time that I took it. But before that, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Um... And then at what point did that evolve into Uber Eats? (laughs) I don't know that either. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nobody remembers when these things first launched. They just remember when they start scaling and doing doing really well. True. That's so, true. Yeah. That's very true. Is there a lot of people working on this sort of thing right now? Do you know? Like other are other people like other companies working on that? So it's a competitive market or it's a freshly new sort of market? So there are like smart dash cams out there. That, uh, that like already integrate with fleets. Um, so let's see, a few of them are like Keep Trucking, Samsara, Ligex, Netrodyne, um, Nago, a few of them. Uh, they will, they basically sell you a dash cam that has a computer inside it that runs, uh, that runs those algorithms and then uploads the results to the cloud. Um, and they give, yeah, so they give a lot of the high, high level metrics. So stuff like lane departures, um, tailgating, like generally aggressive driving, Mm -hmm. you know, running red lights or stop signs, stuff like that. Um, and then also, mm -hmm. is that? (laughs) I don't know. Does everybody call where you just like kind of slow way down at the stop sign, then keep going? It's a California stop. At least that's what it's called. Uh, here. That's yeah. That's what they call it here. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Poor California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we're not really out to compete. You know, Same. I don't really. Yeah, like I don't want to say that they're not competitors, but we're not looking to compete with all, with what's already out there. We're looking to enhance. Okay, it's already there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I dig it. I mean, there's it's definitely. I mean, it's applicable, app, uh, applicable more than just cars out there. Who said there's the cargo freights out there, trains. Mm-hmm. This might be a little bit of stretch, but it's the only other um, vehicle that I can think of, but planes. Because so, they have their own sort of automated system, too. Do they already mm-hmm. have fail-safes like that where they check their system? Like, I don't actually know. I've never been on a plane. Mm. I will go ahead and say this. So never been on a plane to know how that whole thing works out. <laughs> I have a student pilot certificate. I am like halfway to getting my license, but I stopped in 2017 because I ran out of money and time. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah you were busy. Yeah, I, I'm just waiting for the right combination of time and money to actually finish it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the usual workflow on the airliners is that the pilots will do the takeoff by hand. And then about a minute after takeoff, they'll turn on the autopilot. And then after that, it's really just a monitoring job. And they'll, they might go back to hand flying uh, when they're like five miles from the runway on approach and land it by hand. Oh. Um, but there are a lot of 
there are some approaches out there now. They're called the Cat 3 ILS approaches, where, where the plane will basically land itself. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Nor- normally, they only do that in really, really bad weather. Oh, really? They wouldn't like, want to take over in bad weather? Um, I mean, that seems like like opposite of, you know, the car's going crazy, so you want to take over. Like, that's just the opposite in a plane. You trust so, the system, not the pilot. So the thing about aviation is that there are much fewer edge cases that you have to deal with. So... I don't think we're going to see fully autonomous aircraft anytime soon because the real work in aviation now is down to good decision-making. So just exercising good judgment in the moment and not doing anything stupid to get yourself killed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Words to live by. (laughs) There wasn't any. Okay, that's cool. I mean, yeah, yeah. Airlines are super, super good about that now. Uh-huh. After having lots of lessons written in blood yeah, over the years. Is that part of the whole, what was, with the, what was the Boeing issue and those planes aren't allowed to fly? Oh, that yeah. That's just the on Sarah... the news because Boeing is here. Like it's you know, okay. Washington, Boeing. So, Yep. So you're talking about the Max, right? Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I know. It's mm-hmm. just like they're really big one, mm-hmm. and they were having issues with the. I thought it was with the computer systems flying mm-hmm. it within there. So that would be, the computer is wrong, and we t- need to know why it's wrong. So, all right. Here's what happened with that. So, the Boeing seven thirty seven Max is basically a derivative of an airframe that has been around since the 1960s, right? 1960, mid, yeah, mid-1960s, I think, Boeing came out with the first iteration of the 737. And over the years, they have essentially redesigned the airframe to be like bigger, you know, more efficient, uh, stronger, more technologically technologically advanced, stuff like that. Anyway, originally the 737 was meant to be a regional airliner. Oh. Right? So like half hour to two hour flights. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Now they're being used for regional flights up to like transatlantic flights. Right? So a much bigger range of use cases. Um, one of the engineering problems that they had was that the original 737 that made the landing gear super small. So the plane would, um, so the fuselage would be close to the ground. So it's easier, so they can put smaller stairs by the doors when they're at smaller airports. Huh. When they started advancing, when they started upgrading the airframe, the engines started getting too big for the aircraft. So in the next-gen versions of the 737, you would see these flat bits at the bottoms of the engines. They did that so that it would have enough clearance between the ground. They wound up putting a bunch of the, uh, a bunch of the machinery in the engines on the sides, where, whereas it's normally on the bottom. 
yeah, yeah. Quick kind of engineering hack to make okay. it work. On the 737 Max, they wanted to put even bigger engines on there. Right? Because bigger engines are more efficient. Okay. 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 Bigger. So they want bigger, more efficient engines. Uh -huh. So they decided to push them forward under the, under the wings. Right. So the, so most of the engine is actually ahead of the wing. And a lot of the cowling is actually popping up above the wing. If you look at it from the side. Okay. That affected the flight dynamics quite a bit especially in cases where it's like taking off or landing. There are times where that shift in balance will cause the aircraft to pitch up more than you want it to. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah. which is no, which is not good because if it pitches up too much, you're going to stall, lose all your lift, and then mm -hmm. crash. So obviously no one wants that. Yeah. So they built this, yeah. So they built a safeguard in the computer that senses that, okay, if I'm pitching too high, I'm just going to push down on the, on the controls to, to try to fix it, okay? The way that it does that is it watches this thing called angle of attack. Angle of attack is the angle between the wing and the incident airflow. Okay. All right? Big angle of attack equals stall equals yeah. lose all your lift. So if the angle of attack goes up, goes above a certain point, nose down, avoid stall. Everybody's happy. There are three angle of attack sensors on the 737 Max. This system that they made that Boeing put in called MCAS used one. Um, so yeah if there's three why would they only use one i don't know who's in charge ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so there wasn't so there were two incidents where that one angle of attack sensor was faulty so right <laughs> after takeoff the plane started nosing down for no apparent reason and yeah. Wow, if only we had more sensors. Goodness. If only if only they used the sensors they actually had. Who would have thunk putting all those there would be useful? Oh, <laughs> gee golly gosh. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically two seven thirty-seven okay. maxes crashed because of that. One of them almost crashed, but the pilot in command. I think knew someone at Boeing that knew about it and knew of a way to turn it off. Oh, because yeah, because like it wasn't even it wasn't even that bad that there was a system relying only on one sensor. What the real kicker is, they didn't tell the pilots about it. Wait, so the pilots thought all the sensors were being monitored and used? No, the pilots didn't even know that there was this system that would push the nose down if the angle of attack got too high. Oh, my God. And do you want to know why they didn't know about it? Oh, okay. Do I? <laughs> they wanted, Boeing wanted the pilots that flew the old version of the 737 
to be able to fly on the to be able to fly the max with minimal crossover training. So they were lazy about it. They they what they were trying to save airlines money. Oh, as if they're not billion dollar industries already. <laughs> Cry me a damn river airlines. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's even worse that there's someone there that was like, oh, this is a problem. I guess I should maybe let this little pilot over here mm. know, like, hello, Challenger. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's the engineers going, hey, we got an issue with his O-ring. Oh, we're not going to say anything about it, though. And, oh, whoops, Daisy, we had an incident. Yeah. If only we really knew about it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Listen to your damn engineers, people. I don't know. Maybe they, they only they, built it. Not a big yeah, deal they, they might. They might really. know a thing or two. I I would hope so. <laughs> wow, that's okay. So now their whole thing is that they're trying to make what was that M mm. MCAS? Yeah, it was uh, MCAS. MCAS to actually use all their little. Uh, I lost yeah. my words. You know, <laughs> the <Yeah>. three <laughs> sensors. They're using all the sensors now. So yeah. I'm just being like, we have one, which may or may not work all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure what the exact fix was, but it was probably something along those lines. Plus, actually including it in the pilot training as well. Oh, yeah, there's that too. Right, mm. right. Yeah. Humans. You have to let the humans know. Yeah, because the, the thing is, if they if they required... They didn't want to cross the line where flying the MCAS would require a whole new type rating because that would require any pilots that wanted to fly it to be taken off the job for potentially several weeks and have like a whole bunch of time in a super expensive flight simulator uh-huh. learning how to, how to fly that thing. Right. So they wanted to, yeah, so they wanted to try to. Um, Try to make them as similar as possible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's, well. what's funny is I don't think Boeing even planned on building the Max in the first place. What? Early in the 2010s, American <laughs> Airlines was talking about the new planes that they were going to order, and they were like, "Yeah, we're going to ha- we, yeah we're going to order you know a couple hundred of the new version of the 737 that Boeing's that Boeing is going to build." Oh, and Boeing's and like, Boeing, oh, I guess we better build this thing I that get, they want. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I no communication. Communication people yeah. is key. Ah. <sighs> yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. What a mess. <laughs> yeah, Boeing is not in good shape right now. No, no, they're not. Yeah, no, they're still mm-hmm. getting slammed in the news, like and yeah. the local thing. I think we have here, because I'm on the other side of the state, but we have some sort of airplane manufacturing parts facility here mm-hmm. at our airfield. I don't remember what it was now, though. They do space shuttle parts or something as well. Random weird things out in the middle <laughs> of fields in the middle of nowhere in this city. Mm-hmm. That's basically what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, I've, I've never... I've never been in an airport, been on a plane. The closest I saw is I happened to be in Seattle at this random, weird little kind of sketchy park. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that was a thing. 
and I look out and there's like the Boeing building facility and like they mm-hmm. have these massive doors open. You can see parts in there. That was super cool. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. look, there's a plane thing there. Like, but that's the closest like, I've been yeah. to a plane. Yeah. <laughs> just keep in mind, just, yeah. just keep in mind, despite what we said about the 737, flying by air is incredibly safe. Yeah, right, right. And- but it's kind of miserable. I gather. Uh, I mean, all yeah. my, it's just what I see on TV and people's accounts. I don't. Yeah. I've never gone anywhere far enough that I have to justify being on an airplane. Mm-hmm. If I can't drive, I mean, I've never been out of the Pacific Northwest. Mm. I've been to Canada, which is just a short drive. I'm less mm-hmm. than 100 miles from the border, so that's a short drive. And Oregon's a short drive. And then Idaho mm-hmm. is a drive. It's, that's as far as I've ever been. No plane needed. (laughs) Yeah. Not really. But I think at some point from, might end up taking a plane to Seattle some point for a convention, but it's only like a 40 minute plane ride. If that might be 30 minutes. even. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just from here to there, just across Washington. (laughs) Not that far. They'll spend, they'll spend more time on approach to the airport than in cruise. (laughs) Super. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's completely mm. terrifying, actually, more than the plane itself. It's trying to navigate. And am I doing everything right? What's a TSA agent? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That thought scares me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's. That's super cool, though. I mean, yeah. I, well, I don't know, like, fully all the details about the Boeing thing. I mm-hmm. think that's horrible, but also yeah. interesting. But this technology that you're building is actually pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot of fun to build. Like, um, my original plan was to get a job in data science, start teaching myself stuff about machine learning and deep learning, and eventually, yeah, eventually work my way up to working on on like deep learning projects and stuff. I just, I was just thrown into the deep end. Swim. It is great. Sing yeah. Swim. <laughs> yep. I, I am swimming good at least. Yeah. Yeah. I am jumping out of an airplane and building the parachute on the way down. Legit. It's legit. I mean, this yeah. sounds cool. I mean, I wish I was even remotely good at anything that had to do with a computer because I'm not at all. I didn't know that was a prerequisite that you had to be good at that in uh, math and physics. Mm. Like, well, I guess it's. I mean, if you want to be a theorist, probably. Um, experimental work, not a whole lot. Oh. Like I am. Um, I would have figured it'd be the other way around. Yeah, yeah. A lot of um, a lot of the really active stuff happening in theory is in computational physics. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah. My university actually has a whole building for bioinformatics, and several of the fi- several of our physics professors um, do like kind of, you know, like cross. What is it? Interdisciplinary research in that 
Cool. Um, like my uh, quantum mechanics professor was doing, I think he's doing research in, what is it, in protein folding? I think. Yeah, one of his one of his grad students was doing simulations on how this certain uh, shoot, I can't remember now. He was doing research on how this certain protein wiggles. Okay. And and re- really the key to that is if you can understand how proteins move. And I guess where like all the interesting stuff happens that can help you in drug discovery, which big pharma will pour a lot of money into. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's this whole, yeah. So basically there's this supercomputer on our, on our campus. And most of the res, yeah, most of the researchers in that building are using it to do molecular dynamics. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't anything remotely cool at my university. <laughs> There was no research in physics and none in math either. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> A little ouch there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just for how I ended up being like, I guess I have to learn graduate statistics in order to do my graduating research project. <laughs> That's what I did. I had to learn some graduate statistics because I picked doing something that apparently undergrad stats does not do. <laughs> ouch. I was totally cool. I mean, I had yeah. to learn everything on the fly. I had to learn <laughs> programming and mm-hmm. just, yeah, uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I barely know undergraduate statistics. I love statistics. Yeah. It's I got so it. fun. <laughs> Everybody hates it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel, I still, I my biggest regret is not taking more math classes. Hmm. I got really good at calculus. Mm-hmm. I got a taste of abstract algebra. And then I didn't have time to take the second course. Oh, see, a lot of yeah. my physics pals, they took a lot of math. Like, because I think we only had to do calculus, Diffie-Q, linear algebra. Mm-hmm. I think that was really all that was required, but everybody took extra than that, too. Like yeah. PDEs and advanced, because there was calculus, and then there was like this really crazy advanced yeah. calculus that only people who were clearly insane took. Uh, there's like three students in that class or something. Like what that. I was, what I was told was that those classes, the like advanced calc classes are just taking everything you learned in calc one through four and proving it. I don't know. I didn't touch that. I was not going near it. <laughs> Wasn't going to happen. I decided to take what I needed and mm-hmm. like, I really enjoyed, I didn't really enjoy advanced linear algebra. I tried to take as many um, like modeling type math classes that I could mm-hmm. and uh, I can't remember a lot now. It's been a really long time, unfortunately. I remember there was classes. Doggo. <laughs> if he's really loud, I'm sorry. It's all good. Um, yeah, um. I went strictly as many as much math application that I could take 
is what I stuck with. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. a few programming classes. Oh my god. My dog, this one, really, really hates delivery vehicles, and there's a delivery uh -huh. truck outside. So he's going crazy. He's really good at hearing that, oh yeah, that's definitely a delivery truck. I can't <laughs> see it, but I can hear it, and I'm going to go crazy till it's gone. Can he differentiate a delivery truck versus other kind of versus other kinds of trucks? Yes, he does. <laughs> Sorry, he's barking so wow. loud right now. No, he he can tell the delivery trucks different than like a big diesel truck, even totally different. And then he can pick wow. out my car from everybody else's car because we're in an apartment complex, so there's constantly mm -hmm. cars moving around and everything. Mm -hmm. But because my car has like has like uh, there's the hubcap on one of the wheels is rickety, so mm -hmm. it goes clink, 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 clink when I drive. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry to freaking dog. Um, but he can tell when I'm driving because he can hear the clink, 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 mm -hmm. and he'll start barking before I even get close. Oh, wow. He's obnoxiously smart cool. in the most annoying ways, mm -hmm. like right now. Yeah. <sighs> Truck's just sitting there. Please move. Please. I love God. <laughs> this where it would be really handy if I just had a room and I could just close the door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he could just break his little heart out. Yeah. Bless that dog. Driving crazy. <sighs> no, sorry. Anyway, yeah, I. Anyway, I love statistics and that's the only thing that I care about. <laughs> 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 that's all I've done with, I mean, my whole goal in life is. I did, um, you know, statistics for my graduating pro uh, project, and then I've pretty much just been continuing to teach myself how to program with R and Python since then, and doing more statistics and more and more. Right. <laughs> as much as I can make sense out of. Like, it's a little like, I'm just doing it for shits and giggles because I want to learn it, and then I'm like, great, now what am I doing with it? <laughs> Yeah. Other than yeah, I'm... yeah, not much. I have like because I was using it in applications with um, like climate mm -hmm. and the precipitation temperature trends, and then I was doing wildfire trends because you know Fire Nation up here, mm -hmm. all that good shit. It's fantastic, which is really cool actually. I mean, at least seeing how it used to be like, here's a little fire here back in time. Here's I could only get like back to like 1900, I think is as far as I could get the records to go. Um, but yeah, it was just like a little one here, a little one here. And then you get to about the 70s and 80s. It's like, there's red everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sad days, but yeah. And yeah. then pro using that to project how the future is going to look. That's the funnest part, which you don't learn mm -hmm. in undergrad. Um, stats, that's the one thing, is uh, time series modeling. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love time series. <laughs> so far, yeah, everything I... I've modeled has like been super spot on, too, which is fantastic. Oh. So it's a good model. <laughs> Interesting. Dog uh, where did you learn the time series stuff? What do you mean? That was just the extra right. shit that I had to learn from a textbook. My advisor handed me, was like, oh, you want to do that for your project? Here's a book, figure it out. <laughs> like, okay, cool. And how, good was that, how good was that textbook? Uh, pretty good, actually. Do you want me to send it to you? Yes, please. Okay. 
pretty sure I, I saved it, yeah. Okay, yeah, because, like, time series and Bayesian statistics are, like, my two biggest gaps in statistics, and I really need it. Those are what my professor told me that, because we didn't, I took three stats classes as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's so four. There's intro, and then there's stats one, two, three that are the calculus-based statistics classes, and then you don't learn. That's as far as it goes in undergrad. Yeah. Um, but the Bayesian and the time series, she said, are generally um, once you graduate from undergrad and go to grad school is usually where that pops up from. So that, that's the most useful. Yeah. That's probably the most useful stuff in statistics. Why don't they teach that in undergrad? I don't know if it's that they, because undergrad, it's all, um, everything's independent. It's all, all the variables are independent. And then after that, they all become dependent on one another. So I don't know if it's just, it's more application that everything's independent or it's just foundational. I'm not sure. We covered a lot. We covered a lot. And then it was like my first stats class, there was, I don't know, like 50 people in there. Mm-hmm. And then it was like half by the next class. And then the third one, there was five people in there. <laughs> and four of them were bitching the whole time. And I'm like, cool, what's next? Awesome. Yeah. I said, nobody enjoyed it. I don't know why. <laughs> they all complained like no end. And then they're like, Oh, this math theory class is great. Like, no, it's not. Do you like being tortured? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Once in a while, I see those things pop up in like math groups, and it's just like math PTSD for like. It was a class that I took three times because I could not figure out what was going on whatsoever. I got a four in the last time, but it took three times to get a four so that was really really annoying. Yeah how hard I tried. No idea what was going on. I still couldn't tell you what was going on. I know there's words. <laughs> if I said the words, I'd recognize them. <laughs> That's about as far as that goes. That's my experience with uh, theory classes. <laughs> Not my yeah. cup of tea. I like yeah. to model things. Like predator, um, was it predator prey models? There's an actual name for that. A predator prey model. And we did mm. those in like simulating the bubonic plague mm-hmm. with rats in Paris and stuff and it's really freaking cool if I could remember it that was like a point in my time where I just kind of blacked out a whole chunk of my academic life <laughs> I remember sitting in class and I remember that was a thing and it was super cool but I don't remember the specifics about it just my entire academic life in a nutshell <laughs> just blacking out <laughs> yeah yeah, that's what that that's what's happening to me right now. Like I can, like I think back very foggily mm-hmm. to my to my old quantum mechanics class, but I can yeah. uh, I can barely remember anything past the basics. Yeah, yeah, same. Like I I thoroughly enjoyed quantum mechanics. That mm-hmm. was really fun, and I remember enjoying the textbook even. Mm-hmm. And I can picture like things on the board. Mm-hmm. But don't ask me to like really explain the depth yeah. of it. I uh, get you... to do a gloss of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's about it. 
I think about a year and a half or so ago, I had this really insane idea to, um, to try to derive, or sorry, to try to solve the Schrodinger equation for the hydrogen atom without using any of the, uh, without using any of the formulas that were handed to us in Griffiths. Yes, Griffiths. Yes. Yeah. That's a universal yeah. text. So good. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, everyone knows that. Yeah. Oh my God. So you just did yeah. that for shits like and actually, giggles? Like actually, huh? You're just trying to derive that for shits and giggles or figure it out? Well, I had the idea to try to derive it. Um, I got to, I started looking up how to derive the Rodriguez formula. It, I, I got lost instantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can't even remember. Uh, the one uh, physics class that I super loved. Special relativity. <laughs> I love uh, that one. Yeah. That was fantastic. I love that class. And I can still I still have my textbook from that class too. We only had we only did special relativity for like three weeks as the very first unit in intra to modern physics. Which is like which is like pre quantum mechanics, I guess. Yeah, my so my school was like we a quarter system begins. We had four mm -hmm. physics classes, where's the one, two, three, and four, and then you gotta take all the fun shit after that. Um, but we did a couple weeks of special rel at the end of the fourth mm -hmm. one, and then we had its own standalone class to do oh, right nice. after that, which was a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, that was super great. Uh, everybody struggled hard in it just because I. I don't know why we struggled hard. It was kind of one of those, you know, like the joke memes on Facebook mm -hmm. where like, if you throw a tomato at this speed, how fast is that bird going on the other side of the planet? And if you, like, it was that, that mm -hmm. is how the tests and everything were <laughs> like, we're like, yeah, we got this. This is great. And then you see the questions and you're like, is that a joke? Really? That's <laughs> yeah. It's very much like that. My astrophysics textbook was the same way yeah. like that. It's like I freaking love astrophysics and then I got the textbook and it's like no. I don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't make sense. I still have a giant astro uh we had the it's called Bob, the big orange book. It's mm -hmm. like this giant fat book of astrophysics. Nice. I still have it. I mean, that thing could totally knock somebody out pretty well. It's the <laughs> biggest book I have ever owned. And I've had some really thick physics books. <laughs> it's a beautiful book. Super yeah. thin, like Bible thin pages, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Beats Harry Potter. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think the, um, I think the biggest textbook I have was was Chrysic Advanced Engineering Mathematics? Mm. That has not like, crossed me. Okay. You, yeah, if you go back into the field, I would highly recommend finding a PDF of it because it has like four math classes in one textbook. Oh, that's yeah. rad. So it's got your differential equations, linear algebra, complex analysis, oh. and statistics, I think. Yeah, all of those in one huge textbook. Okay, I mean, that's condensed and wonderful. Yeah. I've taken all those. I totally forgot about complex. 
Wow. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> There's another <sighs> thing I erased from my memory. Yeah. <laughs> so that, <laughs> my, I don't know. I think, was your school in a quarter system or a semester system? Semester. I feel like semesters would have been better. Like you have a little bit longer to actually process things, whereas the quarter system was like everything in ten weeks, mm -hmm. and immediately dump it from your memory and make room for the next class that had nothing to do with that class. So you have to yeah. make room all the time. Yeah. And then you forget really cool things like that predator prey model that I was talking about. I remember loving <laughs> it. It's gonna drive me absolutely crazy because I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this whole predator prey model of like wolves in Yellowstone. And I don't remember. But I felt very strongly about it. Yeah. I know that I much. mean, I'm, <laughs> I pulled up the Wikipedia page for it. Was it called the Lotka-Volterra equations? That sounds familiar. That? Maybe. That might be it. Yeah. Yeah. That might be something. There was a few different things we did in that class, but that was... That sounds like one of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just two couple differential equations. There, it was like a series of them. It might have been that might have been part of it, because it was like a lot of building in this model and using some. I think we had to use MATLAB. Does anybody like MATLAB? No. Did you have to? I, did I, you like it? <laughs> okay, so we, so that's what we use for my intro to computational physics course. Oh. And it's also what I use to do all the figures for all the papers I've put out so far. It's oh. so like all the, um, yes, yeah, so like all the analysis that I've done in that nanoscience lab was in MacLab. Oh. Um, I highly regret not learning Python beforehand. Yeah, so that was the thing. My, at some of the physics classes that I had, they they automatically assumed that you knew Python, and they're like, "Go code it, mm -hmm. figure out the results." I was like, "Okay, gotta hurry up and learn Python or something." <laughs> uh, they didn't use MATLAB, and then I had a oh, some math classes kind of use MATLAB. But my professors were always like, well, you can do this in MATLAB or you can do it in this random ass math program that I've never heard of in my life <laughs> that has all these plugins for it that I've also never heard of in my life. And so it was, just, I was like, who is using this? <laughs> and then I get into stats and they're like, OK, you're going to use it wasn't R. I had to use R separately. What did we use? There's some other. Oh, I'm forgetting out. There's another stats program. Uh, uh, Julia? Mm -mm. No? Okay. No, it's... Straga? No, it's like a three-letter acronym one, I think. SAS? Yes. It is SAS. Ah, SAS. okay. We had to use SAS and stats, and then my computer stopped running SAS, and I had to hurry up and learn R on everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like constantly jumping between programs all over the place. Mm -hmm. And then I was learning Python, or not Python, uh, Java, which nobody in the sciences uses Java. So that was just me going, they want me to learn this because for some reason they want me yeah. to learn it. I, I used to be pretty it. good at Java. Huh? Yeah. I yeah. I AP Computer Science. 
Huh? I didn't know anybody that used Java. Uh, outside of a class, no. I, I don't no. think I guess. And even my professors were like, Java is a stupid program, and you just need to get past this to learn cooler stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Great. Why is it not its own specialty track yeah. then to learn it? Like, I don't know. JavaScript? JavaScript? Now, that's good to know if, if you want to do like web dev or something. Yeah, but like no. Java, <laughs> yeah, but like Java and JavaScript, they like, I think they share some of the syntax, but other than that, they're, yeah. Yeah. So that's my experience with uh, programming. It's just lots of random programs and never becoming proficient any of them. <laughs> mm. Although trying with Python and R. I, Python yeah. and R are super similar, at least. Mm -hmm. And they both use Plotly and cool shit like that. So Yeah. I, I've messed with R when I was reviewing statistics a few months ago. Um, but anything you can do with R, you can do with Python now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it used to be that R was the go-to thing for statistics. Then everyone started rebuilding, re, sorry, like re-implementing all of the R packages in Python. So yeah. th there's not really any point in learning R anymore right. unless you want to you know, work in psychology or something. Right. It's just mm. fun. There's um, that textbook I'll send you the PDF of. It uses mm -hmm. R in there, so you can just cool. modify it for Python or whatever. Yep. Yeah, it'll be just fine. It'll yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. cool. I learned really awesome shit. <laughs> Thank you for all of got vehicles of various sorts and their AI functions and how people screw up driving. Oh yeah. And how to monitor people. Oh, yeah. There's gotta be some Freudian thing in there about people driving. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, thank you for coming on. This was fantastic. I hope that I mean people have been listening to the podcast afterwards mm -hmm. quite a bit, actually it seems so I hope it helps somebody somewhere understand a little bit more of what I don't know, people running in their AI functions or I'm totally messing up all those words. Absolutely. But, uh, what's I looked onto your um, real quick before I end it, but their Armada IQ website and it's so people can go on there and is it they subscribe for a newsletter to learn new things? Um, or what's going on? I thought I saw a subscribe button. On so, there. yeah. So yeah, we're not really pushing anything out for like public consumption quite yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we're mostly just heads down, straight in development work right now. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, if anyone wants to go ahead and put their email in there, I mean, once we once we get to a point where we are you know, doing more public facing work, mm -hmm. then yeah, we'll definitely start, um, start, uh, start putting that out as well. Um, yeah, I do check LinkedIn quite okay. a bit. If anyone wants to connect with me on there too. Um, same with Twitter. I, I don't actually post anything yet, but I do. I know. I feel like I should start posting on Twitter. Twitter is where STEM bit. happens, I'm telling you. That's where yeah. all the STEM. That was jarring. Sorry. 
scared me. Uh, yeah, Twitter's where it's all happening. I, I'm on Twitter purely to stalk STEM people in a non-creepy way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The whole yeah. I've actually I um. It. Yeah, yeah. I I went on Twitter for like an hour a few days ago and wound up finding a whole bunch of a whole bunch of ML papers that came out within like the past few days because apparently there are people that just post links to papers that they found interesting. Oh, well, um, yeah, I see that once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I see lots of heated debates about absolutely nothing between scientists on there, too. That's always really fun. Like, yeah. what color would a cat prefer about something? There's just very odd things on there. Yeah. It's interesting. It's the hub. It's really cool if you go on there, too. Um, one feature I recently realized on Twitter, you mm -hmm. can go on there and you can create, like, lists of people. Mm. Um, so other, like, people that you recommend. So if there's other people, like, in your field that you find interesting and someone comes to your profile, they can also go and see those people and follow them as well. Mm. So that's kind of a cool feature. Interesting. It's kind of like having the, um, the MySpace top eight, but you can have more than eight. <laughs> okay. It's pretty cool. I found some like really cool other you know STEM type of people to follow that way just by popping on someone's profile that I really like, and then it pops up other people that they really like that they suggest that you follow. Yeah. And then I got added to a few different types of STEM lists, and I was like, oh, I'm a nobody, but thank you. <laughs> I have like well, 100 followers or something like that. I'm a super nobody. <laughs> well, you're a nobody for now. Yeah. But keep doing these, and that won't be the case anymore. <laughs> That would be super cool. I mean, that's my whole goal with this is just like all of these niche little things that are in STEM and hopefully it helps other people understand. Like I learned a shit ton and I know there's pe people that know less than I do that could learn from it. So I hope it's useful. I hope it gets out there for well for people. Yeah. I love explaining stuff. It's fun. It's fantastic. I love listening to people explain stuff. I am cool. a silent observer. I will just sit there and let people ramble on forever if they feel like <laughs> totally okay with that. It's fantastic. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, I can't really ramble on about uh, anything. I don't know what I would ramble on about. I could probably talk people's ear off about climate change. But I'm go. also not a climatologist. I'm just a mathematician who's interested in applied mathematics and climatology. So, Well, ramble about that. It'd probably get really boring, but yeah, I could at some point. <laughs> I could put up really pretty graphs that I make. Everybody loves visuals, right? Oh yeah. Visuals are fantastic. Yeah. Well, Alex, I will put um after this episode airs, and then I'll put your like your Twitter links and your LinkedIn links for people in the description, so they can check out and ask you any more questions if they have any. Sounds good. Awesome. Yeah, be happy well, to answer them. Thank you for coming on, and this was super fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely.